You're listening to The Hold Fast Podcast. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 5 of the Hold Fast Podcast. I am David Brandau, and today we're continuing our series on the Bible. And I know we really haven't gotten to anything directly pertaining to the Bible itself yet, and that's because when we discuss the Bible, it is important to understand what it is. Yes, it's a book, but it's not just a book. A fundamental truth for Christians is the Bible is a revelatory book. The Bible was written by men, but authored by God. The truths in the Bible regarding God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, man, sin, and redemption, everything in the Bible is the revelation of God. We have no foundation for faith if we do not believe the Bible is the revelation of God. There is a current trend in Christianity called deconstructionism. And essentially what people are doing is breaking down their faith and critically examining the traditions and traditional thought that shapes their beliefs. And I'm okay with this idea in the church if, and only if, the foundation of your faith is Jesus. I'm going to go into more of this in upcoming episodes. But when you strip down your faith and remove the foundation, you will lose the only reason you have to believe. If you have never had a real experience with Christ, you have no starting point. You will start whittling away at the tradition. You will peel away the doctrines. And when you get to the foundation, you won't stop because he was never real to you. This is why we see Christian artists, preachers, friends, and family eventually leave the faith. Because in their minds, Jesus is no different than Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. He is a fairy tale to them, and now that they've learned enough about the world or heard other perspectives, they reason away their need for him. So the reason why I talk about the Bible being the foundation for faith is because it's like that age-old question. What came first, the chicken or the egg? My belief in Christ started off as an experience. But I only had that experience because someone told me about Jesus from the Bible. In order for me to follow Christ, I need to believe what the Bible says about him. If I don't believe the Bible is true, then the experience I had with Jesus is also not true. So the Bible is crucial. But what you believe about the Bible is also crucial. And although this deconstructionist concept is somewhat popular in the church right now, it is by no means new. The very first sin ever recorded in the Bible was to question the revelation of God. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, 
It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. The first demonic attack was, Has God indeed said? So that same doubt and unbelief in the word of God facing Christians today is the same old trick the devil used in the garden. It started way back then. It's going on today and it will continue until the end. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And later in the same book, Paul says, Chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. In order to understand the authority of the Bible, we have to figure out what revelation is. And that's what these first few episodes have been all about, understanding revelation. So really, we're asking five key questions about revelation. Who is doing the revealing? What is the revelation? What is the reason for the revelation? What is the result of the revelation? And what is the response to the revelation? We answered the first question in episode three. We answered the second question in episode four. So today, I want to answer the rest of these questions. First, I want to give the reason. What is the reason for the revelation? And I want to give you the short answer first and give you the long answer after. The short answer is salvation. The reason for the revelation is God wants to restore his relationship with man. The Bible is very clear. God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything from us. In Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 25, Paul says, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. But the truth is this, God does need something. He does need something. God needs to fulfill his love. You can look at the Bible and ask, why did God give us this book? You can listen to the accounts of his son dying on the cross and ask, why was that necessary? You can read all the stories of the men and women who have lived and died to bring the gospel to the world and ask, why? 
because the fulfillment of God's love is to bring us to himself. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. God seeks, pursues, and desires you. Why? Not because of anything you have done or anything you can give him. He seeks you because he loves you. God desires us to come into a greater relationship with him that is only possible through salvation. God wants us as friends, not as slaves or servants, but friends. In John chapter 15, verses 12 through 15, Jesus says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all the things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. God's desire for friendship goes beyond a typical friendship. I have friends that I talk with, but that's all that it is. It's talk. I have friends that I see at events my kids attend, but that friendship never goes beyond that event. The type of friendship God desires with you is one of fellowship, communion, and joint participation. 1 John 1, verses 1-3 through The Apostle John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The word fellowship John uses does not mean social interaction or simple, friendly relations. John says fellowship is being a partner and partaker with both the disciples and with God. This is the type of friendship God desires with us. He is not looking for someone to just do what he says. He desires a partner. Paul takes this idea of partnership and goes further with it. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, he says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. God seeks us out of the desire to transform us from enemies and strangers into fellow citizens and family. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 says, For both he who sanctifies And those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. God desires us as friends for fellowship and for family. He seeks us for intimate personal relationship. 
And those are just the terms that we can actually understand. We don't even know what the fullness of all his desires in that relationship looks like. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, the Apostle John says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Understanding the purpose for revelation is to become the friend of God to have relationship with him, to be part of his family, to become like him, is humbling. And it should be humbling. Think about who we are as people. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 3, it says, This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 18, Paul says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In order for God to have relationship with people, he had to provide a way to overcome who they inherently are. God did not write the Bible to be a collection of spiritual sayings and axioms. The Bible is a guide to bring you to Christ so he can have an intimate, personal relationship with you. So the answer to that third question, what is the reason for the revelation, is salvation. So now let's answer that fourth question. What is the result of the revelation? Well, one of those results we just talked about. It's salvation. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23-25 says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Now in this same book, Peter says the result of the revelation is not just salvation, but also growth. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, he says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow, thereby. Which kind of leads us into an interesting phenomenon. You can be saved by the revelation, but if you don't grow, you will stay a spiritual baby. Now, what does that look like? A spiritual baby is someone who is trying to put into practice the fundamentals of their Christian walk. 
someone who is saved by the revelation but never grows and never changes is a spiritual baby. But to get back to my point, what is the result? One result is salvation. Another is growth. And a third result is holiness. James chapter 1 verse 21 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The revelation saves, it causes growth, and it also purifies, producing holiness. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. The word, the revelation prunes, but whether you are bearing fruit or not determines your outcome. If you bear fruit, the Father prunes or purifies you so you can bear more fruit. He cuts the sucker branches off of your life that draw your energy away from becoming who he wants you to be. And finally, to answer the last key question, what should the response to the revelation be? And again, I want to make this pretty simple. First, believe it. If God has said we are surrounded by such obvious signs of his revelation that we have no excuse not to believe, I think it's safe to say our first step is to accept his revelation and believe it. No sign or wonder or miracle will make you believe unless you choose to believe. Jesus' entire ministry is filled with people who saw he was God, knew he was God, saw the miracles, ate the miraculous loaves and fishes, and still denied him because they refused to believe. So belief is a response. Another response is to study the revelation. If you believe it, study it. There's a reason why the moment you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God didn't take you to heaven immediately. The question is why? Is it possible it's documented in the Bible? Is it possible the revelation goes beyond salvation for you? And if you're like, well, yeah, then you should be investing time, effort, and energy into finding out what that is, unless you actually don't believe it's important. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Those words at the beginning there, be diligent, in the original Greek mean study. That word approved means to be accepted, pleasing, or acceptable. Look, I know there are a lot of Christians who struggle with knowing if they're going to be accepted by God or not. I've struggled with that question myself, but in that question, are you being diligent to find out what is acceptable? 
Instead of walking around wondering if you're going to pass the test, open the book, study it, compare yourself to what it says, and find out for yourself. I could keep going on and on with all the different responses to have. Honor. Love. Defend it. Conform to it. But I think you can get the idea. I wanted to wrap up this introduction to this series. I wanted to answer those five key points of revelation. And with that foundation, next week, we're going to start looking at whether or not the Bible is the inspired word of God, or if it was all just made up. I hope you were able to get something out of today's episode. Thank you for listening. Until next week. God bless. Fast.